Kevin Markwick. Shut your mouth. 
Of course, uh, from Julian Cope, from ever so a very long time ago. That seems to be the general get-out. Welcome along, it's the Kevin Markwick Show again. 1984, world shut your mouth. See, I can talk while I read. I can read and talk. Thank you, uh, Adrian, for a lovely two hours of soul grooviness. And welcome along to another two hours of, well, who knows what. Mostly films and music and film music. Tonight, we've got music from Steve Mason, Nico Case, Jim Jones Review, Dear Tick, The Who, uh, Disclosure, and The Cure, amongst others. The Time Trousers, for it is they, stop in 1981 as we continue our trawl through the 1980s. Quite an interesting year. And actually, I'll show you later, I've got the ledger to prove it. With all the money we took in 1981. So sit back, kick off your pants or whatever, your thongs, and enjoy. Here's Local Natives.
it's all very pleasant. Local natives and ceilings. All my life are ceilings. <laughs> I promised myself I wasn't going to say that. Uh, now, please get in touch with the show. Um, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk. You can email me. Uh, you can text us, start your message with the word Uckfield, then text 80010. Or you can use the uh, interwebular devices like Facebook. Hit me up on the Kevin Markwick uh, show page go to facebook and do a search you'll find me trust me or on twitter uh at kevin markwick that's a pretty good way to get in touch uh send me your thoughts your feelings you know if you just want to share something get it off your chest now's the time and also if you're listening to the podcast i know the podcast is popular and thank you all very much hello podcasting peoples um then you know please get in touch with the show as well on the on you know you don't have to get in touch while we're transmitting you can also do it when we're not transmitting we're here for you all the time okay uh here's steve mason
Mind, uh, Monkey Minds in the Devil's Time is the album. That's out on November the 4th. And that's Fire by Steve Mason. Uh, one of the things we're going to do is make the film section, the 81 section, start on the half hour instead of the hour in an attempt to try and organise it from last week where we learnt quite a lot. I mean the raw we, really, if I'm honest. And we'll be back with Nico Case after this. Kevin Markwick. When you catch light, you look like your mother. It clutches me some, just right from the side. When you catch light, there's a flash of wild creatures. For the stone age of the preachers and the husbands and the wives. That projects my disguise As you fight alongside You'll discover my weakness I'm not fighting for your freedom I am fighting to be wise Nico Case uh, from the album The Worst Things Get, The Harder I Fight. Uh, that's called Wild Creatures. Now, Goldfrapp's got a new album out, which is getting a lot of play all around the place um, for very good reasons. It's a rather wonderful album uh, called uh, Tales of Us, and this is called Drew. Oh, wait. 
Goldfrap Drew from her new album uh, Tales of Us. Now that's got you in a topor. Is that the right word? Topor? I think so. I'm not sure. Um, this will wake you up. Jim Jones Review. Let you up and top and now I'm gonna put you down again Well, I used to like to let you see you spread your wings every now and then Maybe mama's stay, but I won't do it again
Should have shaken the cobwebs out. Uh, Jim Jones review, High Horse. Yes, torpor. Uh, a state of physical or mental inactivity. Lethargy. Yeah, pretty much describes the way I spend the week, to be honest. Um, we got one more track, and then we are going to do a break, and then we are going into the time tunnel. And when we emerge, we'll come out in 1981. I'm going to wrap it around the news. Because it seemed we didn't have quite enough time to sort of fit everything in. I'm going to do the chart. I think we got eight or nine this week. It's going up. It does get to ten eventually, and then um, and I'm going to play you some other bits as well from '81 and talk about what other things we've got. And I've got the got the actual um, ledger as well, which is out in, out in the hall. I'll go and get it, and I'll hold it up to the webcam because you can go to the webcam if you go online and you can uh, look at the back of my head. Uh, and it's, you can see it's all my own hair and I do not dye it, okay? Here's uh, Deer Tick and 20 Miles. i uh-huh. 
from Providence in Rhode Island uh, 20 miles right we're going to have one of these and when we come back I'm squeezing in to my time boob tube Kevin Markwick why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension you, you see we can move in the other three as the doctor said up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways but when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blew it up! God damn you! God damn you all to hell! Must be some kind of hot tub time machine. Okay, here we are then, film part of the show, 1981. Here we go. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are in 1981. <sighs> I think I let the enthusiasm get the better of me there. Sorry, everyone. So... Here we are, 1981. Thatch was still Prime Minister. The SDP is formed. Bucks Fizz win the Eurovision Song Contest. Mm-hmm. And Aldeniti wins the Grand National, ridden by Bob Champion, cancer survivor. In fact, uh, they made a film, uh, didn't they? With, uh, what's his face? John Hurt. Uh, Champions, funnily enough. Some years later. Bobby Sands dies in the maze prison after a 66-day hunger strike. And Peter Sutcliffe is sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of at least 13 women. Liverpool win the European Cup for the third time. Yawn. And British Leyland cease production of the Austin Maxi, apparently. Which presumably was a good thing. I don't know. I wasn't driving at the time, I was 19. And it took me five goes to pass my driving test. As my wife constantly reminds me, who passed first time. 
It was also a summer of writing across Britain, uh, in London, Birmingham, Leeds and Newcastle, among others. Uh, Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp is set up and uh, Brian Robson becomes Britain's most expensive footballer when he sold to Manchester United from West Bromwich Albion for £1.5 million. In the charts, uh, the British people once again showed their impeccable taste by making Joe Dolce's Shut Up of Your Face number one for three weeks. There was also number ones for the Human League... The Specials and Shaking Stevens. I felt so alone. Top selling single of the year was Tainted Love by Soft Cell. It says, I've written here, the taupe selling album, which would be quite amusing. The taupe, taupest album of the year was Kings of the Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants. It was also the time of the abomination known as Stars on 45. And reaching number one in the indie chart was the uh, wonderful Ceremony, which you're listening to now. The first uh, single from New Order, the band formed after uh, Joy Division. On the film front, it wasn't a vintage year, if we're honest. Um... Yeah. For some reason, my source is only the top seven films of the year, and there are a couple of omissions that we'll also cover. So let's do the chart bit first. Seven, grossing two point eight million pounds, the jazz singer. <laughs> A film that had no reason to exist other than to showcase Neil Diamond's syrupy songs and sensible haircut. It seemed to me. I think. Uh, it presents a story so without surprise or tension that it washes over you without leaving a trace. When I'm here alone, um, it certainly only bears a passing resemblance to the original 1929 film without Cholson, but that's to be expected, really. Uh, which was the which was only really notable for being the first talking picture. Took money though, and the album sold in spades. I seem to remember it also did well on a on a reissue. When it was coupled up with Kramer versus Kramer. My heart above my Film at number six, though, ooh, that had a much, much bigger uh, impact. Yeah. 
Yes, Raiders of the Lost Ark, grossing £3.3 million. Steven Spielberg's film, uh, oh, brilliant. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but despite being one of the greatest films of all time and storming the US box office, grossing $209 million, $100 million more than the next best film, here in the UK at a much more difficult time. Um, expectations were very high. I, I do remember. Everyone thought it was a sure thing. Uh, I clearly remember when it opened how disappointed we were with the business. Honestly, really. It did okay, not a deather by any means, but we always felt it should do better. Um, there was no reason for it at all, you know, why it shouldn't be packed all day long. In fact, um, the UK distributor was so put out, they reissued it in September almost immediately. Uh, the new artwork on the poster, I don't know if you remember, it's the um, indie without the hat or the jacket, just the whip smiling. Uh, it was a real struggle and we definitely had to play it two or three times before it finally got going. Of course, now it's an absolute classic that I'm sure everyone claims they saw in the cinema when it came out. Uh, it's also easy to forget how stunning the film was at the time. What a breath of fresh air in terms of pacing and characters. Indy not being a smirking superhero was a revelation and the breakneck speed at which it moved. Um, I used to go into the theatre to watch the opening sequence pretty much every time it played. So thrilling and different and original it seemed. Uh, the score, of course, is now canon. Um, one of my favourite parts of the movie and one of my favourite cues in the score is the map room. Uh, Indy's made himself a staff of Ra and sneaks into the map room to await the sun coming up, where it will reveal the position of the Well of the Souls, the last resting place of the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought.
Oh, it's great, isn't it? I love all the, the German writing on the map room, you know, Nichtstoren here. <laughs> Always makes me laugh every time I see it. Hello to David King. He's uh, Dave King, he's out there, he's enjoying this, which is great. Glad you tuned in. Uh, I, I had to rush through that one a bit. I'm a bit disappointed. Because, mm, I, I, you know, the timings are a bit weird, trying to get this all right. So, anyway, that was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, might, might come back to that a bit later, actually. Uh, and then at uh, number five, grossing £3.4 million, this is in 1981, remember, was Polanski's Earring, Eerie and Earring. <laughs> It was going so well. Eerie and touching adaptation of Thomas Hardy's Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Uh, weighing in over three hours long and uh, beautiful to look at, despite um, DP Jeffrey Unsworth dropping dead halfway through the shoot. Uh, it starred Nastasia Kinski as the ill-fated Tess, uh, Peter Firth and Lee Lawson, and uh, we did splendid business with it. Oh, yes. Hit our audience straight smack between the eyes. Uh, Normandy and France had to stand in for old Wessex as uh, Polanski didn't set foot in England in case he was extra to the US. And Tess also featured a wonderful Oscar-nominated score by French composer Philippe Sard. Here's a bit.
always liked his music, Philip Sard. Philippe, more properly. Uh, he did a score for uh, a rather dodgy picture called Quest for Fire. That uh, The score was lovely. The film wasn't up to much, I, I, I seem to remember, but the score was great. Uh, and, of course, I didn't credit the mighty John Williams in my rush to get back on time, which I still not for uh, Raiders of the Lost Art, of course. Um, what we need to cover is number four, which was uh, Private Benjamin. £3.7 million, perfectly agreeable comedy. Once in your life. Left uh, no particular trace, Goldie Horn. Oh, we had featured an Oscar-nominated performance by the recently deceased Eileen Brennan, who was great. Now, which brings us to the top three. This is Arthur's theme, of course. wonking great hit for us and in the UK Arthur was very very popular although with hindsight uh, a falling down drunk alcoholic does seem a strange way to get laughs but Dudley Moore was the secret weapon uh, he's such an agreeable presence um, that rather like the other characters in the film you can pretty much forgive him anything I always felt Liza Minnelli rather miscast uh, she doesn't quite suit more at all physically and there was little or no sexual chemistry between them. Yeah. Doesn't matter though because the real love story of the film is between Arthur and his curmudgeonly old butler Hobson played with Oscar winning levels of acidity by John Gielgud. It's only when Hobson the only constant and positive role model in Arthur's life dies that he begins to grow up. It was followed by a rather awful sequel and an even more terrible remake in 2011, featuring the not at all likeable Russell Brand. This song, Arthur's Theme, was a huge hit for Christopher Cross. That's it, I pulled it round. I'm supposed to do a break at 52, so here it is. Hello there. So here we go. Kevin Markwick uh, back in 1981, uh, where the world looks slightly different. I have to say, there's no internet. I can't look anything up. It's a nightmare. Um, and we're doing the top, well, seven films, I think it was, wasn't it, of uh, 1981, before we get to the news. And then after the news, I'm going to play some other bits and pieces that belong to other films that, for some bizarre reason, never made the chart. Uh, maybe they did. Maybe I need to look at my source. But actually, films uh, often had a slightly longer rollout in those days. Um, occasionally, they would take a little longer to take money. Uh, Chariots of Fire is one of the ones we're doing. I know we tried that again a couple of times. Uh, I think it was when it won the Academy Award, people went, Ew. maybe this is something we could we should see uh, so uh, where are we up to uh, number two grossing 10.2 million pounds Superman 2 was the number two film of the year in the UK Uh, famously, the Superman, the movie producers, the Sorkin brothers, had admitted to tell the cast and crew <laughs> when shooting the first movie they were actually making the sequel at the same time. Hence you get Terence Stamp and Zod and all that in the beginning of the first one. Uh, they pulled the same trick on the Three Musketeers back in the early 70s, but I think by this time everyone had wised up a bit, so made their life a little more difficult. 
Anyway, apparently due to uh, time constraints and artistic differences, the original director, Richard Donner, walked, and Richard Lester, who directed the Musketeer films, actually, for the Salkins uh, back in the early 70s, was brought on to finish the film. He didn't do a bad job. It was fairly agreeable. John Williams, who'd scored the original film, chose not to return and handed the duties to British composer and arranger Ken Thorne. Although Thorne used great chunks of Williams' original themes... Despite all this, the film was a huge hit. Uh, it came out in the Easter holidays, I remember, and was full all day long. Busy, busy, busy. On the end credits, I remember a title uh, was put up saying, Superman will return in Superman 3. And audiences were so excited, they demanded to know when. When's Superman 3, mister? Sadly, the two-year wait was too long, and when Superman finally arrived, it really was a terrible, terrible film. So that was a bit of uh, Ken Thorne's kind of reworking of Superman. So, what was at number one? Grossing £10.3 million, James Bond was back. For your eyes only. Oh, I did that DJ thing again. It was Dodger's um, fifth Bond film. Oh, really? And a vast improvement on the buffoonish Moonraker, his previous outing. Yes, Chaney. Chaney and I have discussed this at length, as uh, long-term listeners will know. Bond will always be the top-grossing film in the UK the year it comes out. I mean, look at Skyfall. <laughs> wow! And we have covered Bond pretty extensively on this show. So taking us up to the news... Here's Sheena, with the title track from the number one film in 
chair creaking, I can. For your eyes only, Sheena Easton, star of, um, what was that thing with Esther Ranson? I can't remember. Anyway, she became a big, uh, big, big hit after that. Uh, the number one film in 1981 in the UK. Uh, the number one film actually in the US was, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Completely <laughs> $209 million to our £4, six shillings and threepence. Uh, after the news, I'll, I'll show you the book. I'll show you the book. I can flick the book to show you uh and lots and lots of really good film music as well when we come back so uh please don't go anywhere kevin markwick Right, here we are then. We're going to sort of have a bit of a dabble. Dabble? <laughs> dabble in the paddling pool of 1981 while we're here, before we leave. Uh, and mention some of the other films that came out. Like I say, Raiders actually was the number one picture in, in the US. On Golden Pond was number two, which I think may have come out later in the UK. I know we did very well with it. Um, let's turn you down a bit. And uh, Stripes... And of course, um, Clash of the Titans, Reds. There was a lot of uh, a lot of really good stuff. Um, and this one, Chariots of Fire, won uh, the Academy Award for Best Picture, which is what, when people woke woke up to it actually. And also, I remember um, it really started to take money when it went out in a double feature with Gregory's Girl, which was a bit odd. And this lovely bit of music called uh, Abraham's Theme. Did it win best score? Should we have a look? Oh, it didn't say here. Uh, the Palm Door was won by Man of Iron. Nothing to do with um, Robert Downey Jr., I'm assuming. Of course it wasn't. It was Andres Vida's film. I knew that. The Golden Globes, Arthur won actually Best Musical or Comedy and On Golden Pond won Best Drama. So, yeah, it was kind of fairly spread out. But this was lovely. Shark is machine? Blimey. That wasn't very good. So just to prove I wasn't making the Raiders story up, you can see on the webcam I'm holding up the original ledger. If not, you can hear it. Look. There you go. And this is the entry for the 9th of... Uh, what's the 8th month? May, June... Yeah, oh, August, isn't it? Uh, for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Look, 974 admissions the first week. That's terrible. When you think we have, like, three, 4,000 admissions on a big film. And the second week was even worse. We were having, like... Uh, let's have a look. I mean, like, yeah, 67, 47, 79, 53. This is the height of the blinking holidays. Oh, then Bond opened. Look, for your eyes only. 1,502 emissions. I may have exaggerated about the 4,000 bit. (laughs) (coughs) I shouldn't talk, should I, so much during nice music. I'm sorry. So I thought I'd pick uh, a couple of things from... uh, 
1981 that I rather liked. Uh, one of them being John Barry's wonderful slinky sleazy score for Lawrence Kasdan's wonderful slinky sleazy body heat. great great John Barry and his score uh, for Body Heat 
which is not that easy to find. Not the film. The film you can find. It's the score's not uh, a bit bit tricky, but that's that's great. I think that's one of one of his. Uh, it's one of his least John Barry sounding scores. I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean that you know all his scores are great, but that that sounds slightly less John Barry than some of them. Um, I was looking through the book again. It's fascinating. The trouble is, once you get me in front of the ledger, this is <laughs> it's really entertaining. Look, Longer Friday. Why wasn't that in the top ten? For goodness sake, uh, nine to five. Ooh, yeah, Sphinx. <gasps> That was a terrible film. Uh, Hawk the Slayer. Ooh. And Saturn 3 in a double feature. Scanners. That was good. Um, I could go on all night. And probably will. Uh, Cannonball Run. That did all right, actually. Uh, the Janitor. Not so good. And, uh, of course, um, one of my favourites, Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1. I'm going to put that away because, actually, I could just sit here and talk about that all night. So I won't do that. Uh, what I will do is play you another um, score you don't hear that often, certainly um, uh, not on the radio anyway, I wouldn't have thought. Um, Jerry Goldsmith is another one of my favourites, and he wrote the score for um, a science fiction picture called Outland with Sean Connery, which was a sort of, at the time, I think um, Sean Connery got rather upset if you called it High Noon in Space, but that's kind of basically what it was. Uh, the moon, one of Jupiter's moons, they're mining and the bad guys are putting stuff into the water or something and driving everybody potty, but of course it makes him work twice as hard. Um, it was directed by Fizzog. <laughs> The guy that made 2010 and Capricorn One and oh, I'll look it up. I'll play you part of Jerry Goldsmith's quite interesting score for Outland, and then I will tell you who the director was afterwards uh, when I banged my head on the desk for five minutes. Of course, you can always text me, tweet me, if you know before I can look it up.
part of Jerry Goldsmith's score for Outland, which I haven't seen for a while. I might look it out, actually, and see... Uh, I don't think I've got a copy on Doofday or Blu-ray. Uh, but it's, I seem to remember enjoying it. Um, Sean Connery, Peter Boyle, Francis Sternhagen, and the director we were looking for was... Peter Hyams, of course. Um, I don't know what he's done recently, actually. Let's have a look. Um, oh, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. I mm, don't know that one. Sound of Thunder. What's that? The Musketeer. Oh, dear. End of Days. That wasn't great, was it? But he had a little kind of run there. Outland, um, Capricorn One, uh, The Presidio. Mm, it wasn't so great. Running Scared. Anyway. Um, and 2010, of course, which was the, the sequel to one of the greatest films ever made. 2001 A Space Odyssey and Capricorn 1 I always had a soft spot for as well in fact um, that was Jerry Goldsmith as well wasn't it I'll play you that next week because I like that one Uh, we'll have an ad break and then we're going to come back with one more little piece from 1981 that should put a smile on your face yes Jason wins he got Peter Hyams only I didn't see his message before I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia so the moral victory is yours sir um, yes, lots of exploding heads. That's right, they went outside because they were bonkers. They wanted to rip their helmets off and go... Brrr, and uh, they would explode because of decompression. Um, what now? OK, uh, Time Bandits, which was, of course, Terry Gilliam's... Um, dare I call it a masterpiece? Or was Brazil his masterpiece? Time Bandits runs it pretty close. And this should make you smile. <laughs> Like the Pure genius. The three idiots. <laughs> uh, me and my shadow, apparently, from uh, 1981 and Time Bandits, Terry Gilliam's absolutely uh, fantastic genius, original and wonderful, life-affirming film. So that brings us to the end of 1981. How did you find it? Yeah, it was all right. Okay, I was 19, you know, I was a bit, you know, a bit not interested, but... Uh, no, of course I was. Um, so what am I going to play you now? Oh, um, this weekend in the US, uh, Gravity opened to about $50 bazillion. I think, uh, as my mate from Warners was telling me this morning, the biggest October opening... Or was that, well, Warner Brothers always come up with these. Biggest October opening with um, a G <laughs> in the title. Awesome. No, it has been a massive success for Sandra Bullock and uh, George Clooney, of course. Uh, and this is part of um, Stephen Price's score for it. See what you think. And let me know if uh, this soundtrack is stuff is too hardcore for you. Um, but then I guess uh, for a lot of you, that's why you tune in. Here we go. This is from Gravity.
that's rather good, isn't it? Um, Gravity by um, Stephen Price uh, from the film of the same name that's opened big in the US this weekend. Alfonso Cuaron. <coughs> oh, do excuse me. Alfonso Cuaron, of course, um, who gave us uh, Children of Men and it to no he didn't did he did he give us it to mama yeah oh that was a great movie um alfonso caron uh has directed this picture which i whilst uh, <laughs> i'm not encouraging you to go elsewhere but they tell me the imax is uh, quite spectacular on that one and i might actually have to go and check that out myself i've not had a chance to see it yet and for once we may actually have to uh, do more 3d than 2d as well i know i know difficult as it is for me to say it but uh i'm looking forward to it immensely um uh gravity so uh what am i going to tell you next that uh out on blu-ray this week actually is another film which i felt um con uh, i felt was going the opposite direction to everybody else because nobody seems to like it very much but i did uh byzantium uh neil jordan's vampire film which maybe maybe after interview with a vampire felt like a bit of an afterthought but I rather liked it. Um, and the score was uh, by Javier Navarretti. Uh, and this is a track called My Mother. picture byzantium that's um it's called my mother uh by javier navaretti oh, i rather like that film uh, it was kind of you know sort of slightly serial before but there you go now we don't normally do telly 
on this programme, but uh, I'm going to do telly because we're all rather excited in our house as there's a new series of Boardwalk Empire coming up. And uh, this is from the soundtrack. This may have been in the last season or the season before. I don't know. It's uh, Regina, Regina. Let's call the whole thing off uh, Spectre, uh, my man. Cost me a lot, but there's one thing that I've got, it's my man. Cold and wet, tired you bet, but all that I'll soon forget with my man. He's not much on looks and no hero out of books is my man. Two or three girls has he that he likes as well as me But I love him I don't know why I should He isn't good He isn't true He beats me too What can I do? Oh, my man I love him so He'll never all my life is just despair, but I don't care When he takes me in his arms, the world is bright All right What's the difference if I say I'll go away When I know I'll come back on my knees someday For whatever I am his forever Regina Spector from the soundtrack of Boardwalk Empire, which I gather season four is about to start. So we're very excited about that, seeing as Breaking Bad's finished. Boo. And uh, Homeland started there, hasn't it? Did you see that last night? I thought it was a bit limp, actually, that first episode. Call me an old curmudgeon. Anyway, when we come back, more great music. 105 Words once so clear Only echoes passing through the night 
lines on my face Your fingers once trace Fading reflection of what was sort of an end because we're coming to the end of the show this is the sort of rundown to the news uh at 11 o'clock um just good music really there is an end holly go lightly and the green horns uh used of course in jim jarmusch's film broken flowers i think it was the opening credit music wasn't it when the letter from the so-called son um the son he didn't know he had is coming coming it, they use that song so as i say just good music between now and the news uh talking of which here's the who
Markwick. 105, Uckfield FM. Talk to me, and watch me crumble. You will see me come undone.
Closure featuring London Grammar. London Grammar, help me lose my mind, uh, which I probably already have. Um, please uh, get in touch if you're listening live or if you're listening on the podcast. Any comments are gratefully received at Kevin Markwick or on our Facebook, uh, on Twitter or on the Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show, or any other way, really, that you feel you might want to get in touch. It'd be really good to hear from you. Um, and we've got a couple more tracks to go. Uh, this is uh, Julia Holter from her Loud City Song LP. Oh 
Julia Holter uh, from the LP Loud City Song. That's called World. Now from uh, oh July 1985. The Cure, of course. In between days. You have to say, it's been slick. I think it was all right, don't you? I mean, I think I felt a bit rushed in that middly bit there, trying to get everything in in that hour. But maybe, uh, yeah, I kind of timed it all out, but it was a bit rushed. Um, Let me know what you think, of course. I'm going to keep banging on about that uh, on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, The Cure, in between days, of course, from Head on the Door in 1985. So uh, I'm going to do a break. And then uh, we've got one more track to take us down uh, to the end of the show, which is an absolute corker. Something special. Really different. Tastes great. Frankie's spicy pork and beef sausage in a sesame seed roll. 
topped with mustard, tomato, or fruity sauce. Frankie's, the super hot dog. On sale at the kiosk now. Frankie's, from Lyon. So that's it. It's all over bar the uh, recriminations and wailing. Thank you, as always, for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it this evening. And uh, please join us next week. Or if you're listening on the podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, don't forget to download next week's as well. So I'm going to leave you with Ricky Lee Jones, uh, super track from her, I think it's 1981 album, Pirates. This is called Living It Up. I'll see you soon. Love you all. Bye.
Yeah. 